Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. So, similar to last week, this is another pretty simple story that we may not have a ton to talk about, but it's a really good movie, really well executed, but it's a really, really short topic as far as what they cover in the movie. In the movie itself, it's pretty short too. It's only like an hour and a half long. Right, and they even bulk that up with some subplots that I thought were kind of unnecessary, like the whole... Robert Downey Jr. Yes, and Patricia Clarkson, who are like secretly yeah. married. And then like at the end, they say like, oh, we, we knew you were married the whole time. Oh, okay. There's no reason for it to be in the movie other than I think it really happened. And they were just trying to pad the runtime. Yeah. Just to get it to barely over 90 minutes. But yeah, so this this is uh, focusing on Edward R. Murrow and his challenging of Joseph McCarthy during the communist scare of the 1950s in the United States. And... This is definitely more of an American history thing, but I think this is important enough to talk about on a world history podcast, not just for the worldwide issue that communism was, especially during the 20th century, although it still exists to the present day in some parts of the world, but just how you deal with, again, we talked about the word demagogue, uh, I think a couple weeks ago with with Evita, and that's kind of what Joseph McCarthy became, was just a demagogue, where even if he was motivated by good things initially and trying to protect the United States from elements within that might try to undermine the government or our way of life. I mean, you you can see that being a good thing, but then it did be, kind of become this witch hunt right. that he just kind of took too far and, would, and actually was accused of, what, even fabricating evidence at some point and just kind of it became a way to get rid of your political rivals. Yeah, and not even not even necessarily fabricating evidence, but just like straight up making stuff up, but then saying, oh, well, you know, that the evidence is classified or the means by which we got the evidence is classified or just saying, oh, well, you know, the FBI has a secret file on you that says this and this and this without people being able to face their accusers in court or, you know, see the evidence that is saying that they are supposedly communists, you know, all, all the things that you would want if you were being accused of being a communist. Right. So so studying the stage for a little bit, and so post-World War II, so during World War II, we were allies with the Soviet Union. Despite their being communists, we had the we had to team up to fight the Nazis, and we kind of put aside our differences and allied during that war. But in the aftermath of World War II, many people are aware that the two then surviving superpowers were the Soviet Union and the United States, which set up a decades-long Cold War as kind of like who's the top dog and the ultimate power, ultimate power in the universe, the ultimate power on Earth. And it was a very, very strong rivalry with, you know, tensions always being high. And there was concern because we had seen a lot of countries turn communist in the 20th century that could it happen in the United States. And so there was, you know, legitimate concerns of would these parties, you know, in the United States try to stage a coup or try to take over. But then the problem is, because you can't tell by looking who's communist, it becomes this whole, everyone's scared to talk out loud. And we've talked, I think, before on past episodes about how in the United States, because we have the First Amendment, 
no idea should be forbidden. I should be able to, again, I personally do not, but someone in the United States should be able to have communist sympathies or, I hate to say radical Islamic sympathies, but like if you're not actually actively trying to cause harm, you can basically think or feel whatever you want and be a registered communist or whatever in the United States, and that shouldn't be illegal. But because of the fear at the time, they were kind of being a little more aggressive than they should have been with policing that. And again, there was a need to tamp down some issues, but it became a boogeyman. And that's where McCarthy came in. And basically, there was a small little problem that probably needed to be dealt with on the margins that blew up to become this huge problem that it actually wasn't. And McCarthy is there beating this drum, trying to, it's the whole, you know, cut off your, uh, what is it? Cut off your nose to spite your nose face. Nose to spite or, your face. Yeah, or, you know, cutting off a finger to cure a hangnail kind of thing. So it was, and everyone was just scared. And the whole country is on edge, worried that if they say the wrong thing, they will get accused of being a communist by their neighbor, get turned into the FBI because, you know, maybe they didn't, trim their trees right on their neighbor's yard and your neighbor's going to call them a communist and the FBI is going to be after right. them because of a personal grievance and everyone's just right. on edge. And he could basically bully people into doing stuff that they maybe wouldn't normally do just because they thought that, well, if I don't, you know, just like you said, I'm going to get accused of being a communist, which at that point was basically just as bad as being convicted of a crime. Right. I mean, it could, it could ruin your life. So into this scene comes, you could argue, a rather unlikely hero in Edward R. Murrow, who was just a TV and radio personality at the time, who, through his program, and they even kind of show in the movie, he kind of has a lot of, most of his job is just kind of doing these fluff pieces, you know, and personal interest stories, and he has to, like, kick and scream and beg to get to do any kind of hard-hitting journalism on the side, and... He basically has the courage to call McCarthy out. He, he has the courage of, I don't care if I, and you don't say this exactly in the movie, but I don't care if I get called a communist or whatever, what this guy's doing is wrong, and I'm going to call him out on it. And he does so in such a beautifully eloquent way that no one can question his loyalty to the United States and his pure intentions. And it kind of just not opens their eyes because I think everyone kind of knew to some extent what McCarthy was doing, but they made it okay to speak out against McCarthy. Like you could actually now call call a spade a spade and say like, this guy's full of it. And I can say that without being accused of being a communist. Right. And then he actually, then again, what's really, really cool is, so they have David Strathern plays him in the movie and does an amazing job, nominated for an Oscar and everything. But then for McCarthy, it's Joseph McCarthy. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. And I guess George Clooney, who directed the movie, said that when the movie came out, people would ask him, like, oh, man, who who did you guys get to play McCarthy? Like, that guy was really good. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, we just used recordings of Joe McCarthy. Right. So, yeah, whether it's uh, video footage from in the actual, you know, Senate hearings or when he was actually then on Murrow's show. And that, I thought that was a really, really cool show. When Murrow calls him out, he basically says... I would now also extend an invitation to Joseph McCarthy. If he wants to give his side of it, he is more than welcome to use my airtime to come and give a counter argument to everything I'm saying right now. And they also say, right. and so, and then, so what was it about a month later, McCarthy yep. t- took him up on it. But in the meantime, CBS was just kind of collectively holding their breath, waiting to see what the audience's response would be. And as the call started rolling in, they got a, a 15 to 1 positive to negative feedback in support of what Murrow was saying. 15 to 1. You think about that on any issue today. Are puppies cute? 
you're probably not going to get a 15 to 1 ratio right in the united states nowadays and then so public was already on their side and then mccarthy didn't do himself any favors he tried to do his usual routine where he was like oh you know murrow's a communist yeah and he yep. you know is a part of this group and that group and has you know communist sympathies and that's the only reason he is coming at me like this yep and the public just turned further against him and it basically ended in effect mccarthy's career like he did remain in the senate but it, it effectively was the end of his career and he then died just actually three years after this in 1957 but he was never really a prominent this really this is basically his only legacy like he was kind of even just a nobody young senator before he kind of took up this issue and got you know and blew up as the anti-communist guy and and again i don't want to make stuff up but i you almost kind of feel that like did he hang his hat on this to become more prominent and like just kind of made this his passion project to get his name out there and not because he actually bought into it. I I, I don't know. I don't know what extent I mean, that's worked, the case. It worked for a while. Right, <laughs> it was, right. It was a good strategy for a while. Right, until, yeah, until it basically ruined him. So, and again, the movie just covers all that. It's basically the behind the scenes and them having the pressure of, like, the heads of CBS, who like, who's going to allow them to do this and who's not. And, uh, and the, they had kind of a framing device of Murrow talking at an awards show then again, that was based on some actual, actual things he had said to just kind of just, you know, what to what responsibility does the media have in today's society to kind of call things out? And it's all just it's really, really good movie. And, it, and it's an important movie. And it's not super ambitious. It's telling a relatively small tale because it is just kind of this one thing. It's Merle calling out McCarthy. That's it. That's the whole movie. They do 90 minutes. Yeah. They're dealing with a little bit of the controversy behind the scenes and the struggles of the advertisers to get it on the air. Ultimately, it's received well by the public, and McCarthy is basically ruined by Murrow, and that's all there is to it. So what I want to talk about a little bit, though, is Murrow himself. And I do think this is kind of neat, and just how he came to prominence during World War II as a correspondent. Again, we kind of forget. You know, We kind of you know have an idea you know nowadays of how the internet has changed media and how people get their news, however you, however you want to classify that. But we forget during Murrow's time, he kind of was around for the beginnings of radio and TV and was a pioneer mm-hmm. in both of those things and how journalists transitioned into those. So obviously before radio and TV, it was just print journalism. That's all that could exist was print journalism. Right. And, and well, I say that there was like movie reel, movie, movie theater reels, I guess, and stuff during the war where you could kind of go to the movies. But yeah, so with radio and TV, Murrow was a, one, a pioneer and just kind of the right age to kind of be in that world as, you know, radio came out and then later as TV came out. But he was also just kind of naturally suited to it. So they said like during World War II, he was the kind of the guy who could. They would record broadcasts that would be kind of taped late and played later. And he was just really good, though, at seeing something. And just on the spot, he could describe it in a very almost like like a novelist would. Like he just was very descriptive on the spot. So his pieces then were very compelling and popular. And he kind of built his reputation as this you know guy everybody wanted to turn into to hear his take on what was happening. And he was you know in London during the Blitz. And that's actually where the phrase good night and good luck comes from so during the london bombings that's something that the brits would say to each other just like not want to say casual conversation but just like in conversation like you're talking to your friends and like okay the germans are bombing us 
So as I'm saying, you know, farewell to you for the day. Good night and good luck. Oh, okay. And then so That's cool. yeah, and so Morrow himself picked up on that and used that as his tag then throughout the rest of his career. So then yes, in the movie we see him doing, you know, he basically ends every nightly news piece with good night and good luck. And then that's and then why Clooney then uses it as the title of the movie. So it's kind of cool that it has this history of going back to the uh, the London bombings. Well, and they they mention that too in the movie, right? Like, are there there's people? I mean, people reference his London broadcast during World War oh, okay, II. Okay, okay. Well, several times during the movie, and how they're how they're big fans of him, and how they I think that was that was that kind of like his when he became big was because of his broadcast during World War II. Yeah, well, yeah, because that's, that's how they made it seem in the movie. I just didn't know if it was the same in real life. Correct. So yeah, he was born in 1908. So yeah, basically you figure when, you know, when Germany invades Poland, he's 31 years old. And then, you know, so yeah, by the end of the war, he's, you know, 37 or whatever. And I guess he was kind of just known for catchphrases too. And he was, and uh, the other one, I don't know if this is worth mentioning necessarily, but when he did his London reports, it was always, this is London. And just kind of like that pause itself became kind of iconic. It just kind of the way he spoke. And of course, today they still have the Edward R. Murrow Award, you know, for journalism and stuff. And he just kind of became this this icon within that world. And then uh, Churchill even offered it to put him in charge of like the BBC at one point, but he declined. And so he kind of had issues off and on with CBS. He did ultimately resign from there and accepted the position under Kennedy as the head of the U.S. Information Agency. And kind of did insist on a kind of a high level of access. And the quote from uh, Murrow here about his job with the White House was, as far as needing to be in on some of these meetings, he's like, if you want me in on the landings, I better be there for the takeoffs. Nice. Ultimately, though, he he didn't live much longer. He died in 1965, but he was also like a three-pack-a-day smoker. Yeah, so I thought that was super interesting. Cause it, so in the movie, everybody's smoking all the time. Right, because it's the 50s. He's even smoking yeah. during his broadcast. Yes, yes. On TV, talking about McCarthy, he's got a cigarette in his yeah. head. Yeah. And then and it says that uh, See It Now, his show, was the first news show to like report on the link between smoking and cancer. But he was also like a three-pack-a-day smoker, and then he ended up dying of lung cancer. So it's kind of like some dark irony there that they kind of were the first people to shed light on that on that link and then that's also what actually killed him right and he and he kind of knew that he was just you know essentially dependent upon them yeah murrow said i doubt i could spend half an hour without a cigarette with any comfort or ease yeah so today he's got there's a park in dc named after him uh there's a high school in brooklyn named after him so just kind of a journalist that you know many would argue we don't have uh any of his ilk around today i mean you know the the closest were honestly be someone who doesn't consider himself a journalist, but John Stewart, as far as, and I remember seeing too, like they would do polls when John Stewart was still on the daily show talking about how mm-hmm. people trusted him more than any other journalist. And he kind of shied yeah. away from being called a journalist. Cause he is ultimately a comedian, but the way he did it, it was journalism. I mean, even if he didn't call himself that, I mean, that is kind of by definition what he was doing a lot of the time. And even he would comment on the ridiculousness of that. Like, how am I the most trusted news source? Like right. I have a show on Comedy Central. Why? <laughs> why is that the you know yep, the, yep, the the yep. most trusted news that people get? Yep. Um, and again, I, I sorry, I don't even go off on a tangent on John Stewart. But again, as far as like just trusting names in the media, you know, Walter Cronkite was another one that comes to mind. And unfortunately, you know, these people are just uh, 
too hard to find nowadays and we uh we could definitely use more of them and someone who can uh again i think have their own political ideas but still come off as in earnest and you know speaking the truth regardless of what that truth represents so yes it did not win any oscars but it was nominated for six oscars uh including best picture best director screenplay and then lead actor uh, david strathern and man he's a guy that you wish you would see in more stuff like he's just kind of a constantly working actor and he is in a lot of stuff but he's not he's not necessarily like he's a big name actor but he's not i don't even know if i would necessarily classify him as like a household name he's kind of like i would say definitely oh it's that guy that i've seen in a bunch of stuff but he's always good the the role that sticks out most in my mind and this is just because of what i've happened to have seen is Aben out he's the pitcher and actually i don't know if you've ever even seen Aben out no i think i first saw him and i kind of like always go back to his uh, role in the born movies and uh what else is Clooney directed he had what suburbicon that was like a couple years ago he directed that football movie he directed monuments men that wasn't very good yeah eyes of march was solid Sorry, George. I know you're listening. I know you're listening, George Clooney. I, you know that might you might not think that's fair, but <laughs> don't patronize me. <laughs> so he's doing it. So he's got one coming up called Good Morning, Come Midnight, which the title makes it seem like it's similar. Is it Good Night, Good Luck too? But it's not related at all. Oh, uh, the, no. The, the The title makes it seem like that's where he's going, and no, it's like some sci-fi thing. So that's weird. That is about all we have for this movie. Next week, we'll be in French North Africa with the classic film The Battle of Algiers. Until then, good night and good luck.